Culture eats strategy for lunch and inform cultures drive decisions and inspire action. At the Data Culture Podcast, we talk with execs, visionaries, and data experts so that you may move from idea to outcome in your own data culture journey. Welcome to the Data Culture Podcast. My name is Sid Atkinson, data culture innovator and consulting leader with over 21 years in data. And my name's Lee Harper, co-hosting the podcast. I've been in the machine learning and data science space for the last 10 years. Prior to that, um, I was in academia, had my PhD in physical and chemistry. Fed to machine learning really by accident, uh, post teaching career. It's really hard. Anybody tells you otherwise, they've never taught before. Um, burnt out quite badly, in fact. Took what time as an easy job doing mathematical research. Turns out this was machine learning back in 2013. So I got in at the, uh, the rising wave, and that's been very, very good to me over the last 10 years. Worked in the UK, can tell I'm not from around here originally. And I then moved to the US, was in various startup positions for a while, and then I was consulting um, actually with Sid about four years ago. So I spent the last four years um, as a consultant. I really focused on a mixture of machine learning, um, both tactically, how you build models, how you deploy models to production, and culturally, you know, how do you ensure trust in these systems? How do you ensure that people want to adopt them? How do you ensure that you're even solving the right problem in the first place and that machine learning is the right solution for what we're trying to do? And that's why I'm also just in data culture. It's an intrinsic part of the machine learning journey. So Sid, what about you? Yeah, I've, um, uh, similar to you, have not had a straight path to the data side of things. Um, bit of an eclectic background. Uh, did economics and religious studies as my majors. Um, so you can tell I was very undecided about my future. Uh, I had about seven different minors in there. Um, turned down going into finance and uh, decided to follow the uh, tech as my hobby, turn it into a career route. Failed at doing my own uh, consulting company straight out of college, um, which is not too much of a surprise. Uh, then took a job at Dell for a little while. Um, learned, uh, got, um, being the uh, kind of the, the startup of startups um, in that culture, had a wonderful time learning the art of data and analytics and um, really having it beaten into your culture and into your mindset there that um, uh, you can't manage what you can't measure. And so it was a, a very metric-driven organization and something that um, uh, I really learned a lot from. And then uh, took the jump into consulting and, and did that for 16 years with, um, with one company, which is you know where you and I work together, Lee. And then uh, uh, most recently joined a, a, another consulting company to help them towards an acquisition, grow their data culture practices and ideas. And then now we're already acquired. Um, so now I'm uh, uh, learning the, the land of global consulting over here at EY. Um, so lo long, um, but long history in data, did uh, worked on uh, very massive systems uh, back before you could call it big data um, because we were doing everything on-prem and with relational systems. Um, have uh, done a large sets of projects um, across varieties of industries. You know, the, with the biggest thing, and maybe this is where like the, the philosophy minor and the religious studies aspect comes into play is I was always in the pursuit of why, why did this thing matter? Why are we doing this? Um, to what outcome are we charging towards? You know, what are the questions that we should be asking? Um, and so the, um, the philosophical journey in data is what I've um, thoroughly enjoyed. So, but today, Lee, we're gonna talk a little bit about, you know, why, 
why should we talk about data culture? Uh, what, what is this important? So for you, I'm going to turn this question to you first. Why are we talking about data culture? Data culture in many ways to me is the, is this all pervasive thing that should exist, could exist, and really is a secret ingredient between how some of the best teams, best companies operate, succeed, even in very uncertain times. You know, kind of look at the pandemic, look at you know, the 2000 crisis, some companies thrived. They took the chaos, they were able to make order from the chaos, and they thrived. Others went bust. And for me, what I've seen in my kind of career so far, especially in data science, is you get lots of people who are very smart, it's a field that naturally attracts people with, you know, STEM backgrounds, and even those that don't have STEM backgrounds, often are very driven. You know, there, there is a barrier to entry um, for an economics minor, or even I've known some people with, you know, liberal arts minor, uh, majors who you know, have succeeded, but it's taken a lot of effort, a lot of work. A number of companies, though, have this belief sometimes that just get enough smart people in a room, magic will happen. They'll take the data, they'll do some AI, all my problems will be solved. And mm-hmm. it's just not quite true. And a large part of it is they're missing the, the cultural side of, of data. These smart people produce these models, often in a vacuum. They're often in some corner. I often use that a pirates versus navies analogy. Right? They're these, these pirates kind of, you know, researching, building these solutions, you know, getting stick up and glue to hold it all together. And they build something great, then the wider organization isn't prime either to accept it, to trust it, or and this has happened several times, those smart people never asked questions. They were curious enough about the wider culture and organization to figure out, is this even the right problem to solve? Or if it was the right problem to solve, what's the right way of solving it so any will actually use it and get benefit from it? And often the culture didn't really allow us to even be asked. There, were, there was no culture of asking questions. There was no culture of being curious. There was no culture of you know, people who weren't the data people trying to themselves use data in interesting and innovative ways to inform their decision-making, um, make better decisions, or even just, to, if nothing else, just to be informed about the current state of the organization. So for me, culture is really important because it's what can take a disparate set of people, groups, units, functions, and turn it really into a big cohesive whole that can then be moving forward and really taking all the advantage it can uh, of the asset that data can be. How do you, how do you respond awesome. to that, Sid? Yeah, and so many different ways, actually. Um, but I think I might first respond to it with a question before um, uh, I, I you know, throw out any of my own ideas. And when you think about, you know, like why, so why, you know, part of what I heard in what you said there was, you know, why talk about culture? Because it, you know, from, from, one angle in what you said was taking a look at what's been missing from the conversation to get people towards that successful outcome that they're looking at, whether it's, you know, that successful outcome is um, something that helps predict, um, you know, via the new machine learning model that they deployed or the statistical analysis. Um, but there's, you know, there, there's to help better, you know, folks better understand why we talk about culture. Wh- what are those common, um, you know, mistakes that people make? You know, when, when we aren't talking about culture or conversely, when they are talking about culture, but maybe they're missing the aspects or the broader holistic view that, that we are thinking of. Part of the challenge here is a lot of people have things to sell. Okay. Machine learning is an area that's rife with VC money. It's rife with P money. 
And lots of startups, again, lots of really smart people want a piece of the pie. And it's a big pie that's ripe for innovation. Mm -hmm. And so what I often see, especially in various kinds of software vendors, product vendors, um, they come to the table and they use culture as they get in, right? You see these presentations, you see um, talks about data culture, and then they select about about their products, their data catalog, their new database, Mm -hmm. their new ML platform. These are great tools. The new governance, Absolutely. new governance tools, right? Like, Absolutely. Hey, here's how you can run your committee. And, and that's great. I mean, tools absolutely enable a data culture to happen, right? You know, the data catalog, hugely important in a good data culture to know what data you have, to know what it means. That's the first step, answer questions, but it's not enough, right? You need the people. Hey, culture is a human thing. Talk to an anthropologist. Talk about, talk about culture, different cultures of all kinds. You need process. Mm-hmm. How do the people actually get things done? That can be technical or not technical. Sometimes you need a committee involved. Yes, you have to have death by committee. Absolutely a thing. But sometimes that's an important thing to have in the process. And then the tools, and it's really in that order. You know, people process tools. And that's sort of missing in the conversation is you know, the tool sellers who really have a lot of the mind share. Um, in the conversation due to their size and scale and the money involved, um, often miss that a more holistic picture. Because that's not what they're selling. They're selling the tool, whereas, you know, companies, consulting companies, like where we both work, often we are trying to sell a more holistic picture um, of how people can succeed, you know, with the tools and the people and the process. Yeah, because at the end of the day, until we have um, you know, the uh, uh, general AI to the point that uh, it's it's thinking and replacing and taking inputs in from the real world and able to to think and tell us all the things that we're doing wrong we have to have people interact with anything that's you're implementing right and at the end of the day it's it's i, I think it's what you you see the videos it's like the classic qa thing well this is how i made the software but then it's like but then this but is honestly, how everybody uses it even if we it's did same thing. we have an agi yep. an artificial general intelligence mm-hmm. you know Part of being responsible with the use of AI is accountability. And that's a key pillar mm-hmm. of a responsible AI strategy. Even if you've got an AGI that could do everything, it shouldn't ever be divorced entirely from, from people. And honestly, with all these things, people program it. People, people create the data sets that power these things. So it's never divorced entirely from the culture, yeah. even in uh, some distant, hopefully not dystopian future. Well, and we've even seen that on small scales right now, right? Whereas the um, uh, there is a presumption from folks unassociated with our field that you know the uh, um, ML or the, any any you know, similar process should be consistent, you know, across cultures. But as we're seeing very uh, and very real world scenarios that similar methods, even the same code can generate very different things depending on the culture that's actually producing it. Um, you know, classic, the simplest, most simplest example of, um, you know, facial recognition, you know, works very differently in here versus like say in East Asia. So yes, cultures, cultures drive a lot on, uh, how these things are built, how they're used and, and what their output. Right. Or and there's been some beautiful work late, um, using large language models, um, to do Quranic um, analysis, which, you know, is very, very, mm-hmm. you know, and, and of course, you know, the Quran's written in sort of Arabic, 
And so that you know, is, is inherently very cultural as well. Um, and it's great to see you know, more people than just Western nations really um, embracing this to help enhance their own cultures, whatever it may be. Well, anything else on the common mistakes that uh, might help people place why we're talking about cultures? I think that I, I mentioned this before, but it's the idea of you know, all these all these smart people in a room, you know, get a bunch of dead folks in a room, and they tell you that magic will happen. Well, you know, magic can't happen without the culture to place it in. And so you really can't isolate data teams as a number of organizations do and expect to really see long-term success there. And, and culture is one of the big things that tie that together. So I think that's another common mistake is isolation and siloing. And a bit, if you're a big company, if you're a Fortune 100, there's going to be some teams and there's going to be some silos. You can't get rid of that, mm -hmm. but then how can you construct your culture so as to account for that and still be able to move forward in powerful and constructive ways? Um, and the answer is probably not data mesh. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be a whole separate sure. topic. So Sid, what about you? I've, I've given my kind of data culture ideas really more from the data science and machine learning side. Like what's your view kind of coming more from the, the data analytics, data warehousing side, and really the, the um, leadership side as well? Yeah, I, I think there's, you know, at different points in my career, I had different questions and observations um, that, that just maybe some of them simmered, like particularly earlier in my career, simmered in the background until I think I had enough experience and a bigger view of the landscape to understand, you know, what was going on in that pot. One of the first things, um, I was really confused when I first got into things um, and doing data engineering and really working on, at the time, call center analytics. So we were we were working and managing all the analytics across the globe for Dell's, you know, at the time, 32 different call centers. I have no idea how many different call centers they have now or they've consolidated. But it, there was loads upon loads of dashboards that we would build. And then, you know, for quite some time, and even still today, there's this obsession with building dashboards. And so the analogy always being that, well, but you need a dashboard to drive your car. And that bugged me because... I don't know what the actual stat is, but I have to imagine that when I'm actually in my car, I'm looking at the dashboard less than 1% of the time or somewhere around there. It, it, I know it's a small percentage of the time. And the dashboard doesn't tell me where I'm going, why I'm going there, where I'm going next. It gives me telemetry on my journey, but it doesn't provide me a reason to be in my car. And so, you know, and, and yes, dashboards are going to be you know, the dashboards in the business context are a little more meaningful than the dashboard on my car. But to me, the, the, so many people treated dashboards as the goal versus a step in the journey. To me, it was like, well, dashboards should just be table stakes on the analytics piece. Because when I look at the dashboard, what I should be thinking about is, or what are the other 12 questions that I have, right? Like it might be a, a little more synonymous with, you know, today, like you have your smart devices and you can see well, okay, my, you know, whether Apple or, or Android CarPlay, and I can know where I'm going, why, you know, I, I plugged that in, I've given the, the vehicle purpose um, and direction and, and not just basic telemetry. So, but then I am taking input from the rest of the broader world, you know, traffic lights, rain conditions, like child running in the street, you know, all to determine how I might move, act and behave in the world. So, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of dynamicism to driving, 
just as there is to life. And so the, the whole dashboard concept just, I, I didn't buy into it back in the day as the goal. Um, even though a lot of people treated it, you know, having corporate dashboards and everybody to be able to go see dashboards and the right permissions to see what data on the dashboards that, that, but at the time I just didn't have, you know, enough experience to challenge that. And I asked a lot of questions and got the same answers. Um, but, um, so then when I moved to the consulting space, I kind of saw the same thing. Customers kept requesting dashboards and I kept asking, well, why do you want this? Why do you need this? What are you going to do with it? And by the way, what are the next the next twelve questions you're going to ask once you have this? And so it's it's um, it's been interesting and in, in kind of going through the journey of delivering that and really trying to get clients focused on more of the capability versus like focus more on getting the capability to use your data versus just the question, um, and then even really thinking is like, well, but it's not also just about the data you have. It's about also the data you don't have because the, um, I forget who, who, who quoted this or talked about it, but the, you know, if you, if you have, um, if you focus too much on the data you have and the questions you know how to ask, you know, it's akin to, um, the, uh, you know, the carriage makers in the 1900s looking at their order information, what they know about their customers and deciding what carriages they should make next and totally missing the fact that, you know, Henry Ford is about to change the I entire dynamic. we find that a science that you can never know everything. You know, if you're building a model to determine yeah. who's going to buy what next, well, typically you'd need to know what yeah. their current state of mind, how much money they currently have in the bank, have they just been fired from like, their job and they need to go on some retail therapy. Like you're not going to know this information. It's going to be missing, right? Yeah, and and you and you can only really know the information you're missing if you're very clear on the purpose. And that was the part. Then I was like, oh crap! <laughs> when I was first in, you know, first joined um, Catapult and was consulting there, and I was talking to a friend. It's like, hey, how do we do this data stuff and do it well and not be management or strategy consultants? Like, how do we how do we stop? <laughs> because we're you know, it's like I was only 27 at the time when I joined Catapult, and it's like I'm not. Like I'm a very entrepreneurial. I love thinking about these things. Love asking business questions. But I'm not, I can't. I cannot go into that manufacturing customer because I've never you know outside of like seeing the the services and the build data when at the time at Dell when I came came over to Catapult. Like I hadn't spent real time in. I wasn't an industry person, and so I was like, well, how can I tell them what to do or think about these things? So it's taken me a while to realize. Well, I don't have to know that part. What I can help them figure out is like, well. You know, if, if you if you think about the um, like dashboards and some of this information is like the table stakes, right? Like if you're a for-profit company, it's a no-brainer that you are in this to make money, right? You you have to make money. So so looking at profit stuff isn't your purpose, but so many people treat that as a purpose. And so I figured over time, the part that I I was good at was well helping people rediscover or or articulate why. I exist. Why, why did I, why am I this company versus another company? Why am I a company that makes, you know, paper versus a company that, um, makes pens, right? You know, what it's, um, uh, everybody has that, that, that purpose. And so then, you know, the, those gaps in information, the gaps in knowledge, um, plus what I do have, you know, helps me then figure out, in, you know, information to purpose. Um, and, and so, so 
then when when you kind of had like after having that um, both epiphany and testing it, you know, with clients and clients responding to it well, it's like okay, well, this is cool, but now how do I then take these insights and deliver a consistent experience on the next engagement? And how do I take these insights and not only deliver a consistent engagement, but then then talk and teach others how to do the same thing? And so, um, you know, that that's the the early experiments probably you know. I don't know, almost a decade ago now, um, you know, looking at um, you know, mapping out agile to um, to data projects and to then you know the the um, company direction, so that then we could quickly deliver and pivot, and then you know moving to looking at maturity models to help people understand things, but then you know eventually finding some of those maturity models like lacking um, um, because they were still very technology focused. Uh, so it's 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 been a long and winding road. Um, but it's, uh, but what, uh, what I finally found is like, well, the questions and the discomfort that I had early on, I didn't have the language for it. Um, but now it's, it's been, you know, over the past couple of years, like, how do we build language? And that, that to me is why we talk about data culture and, and, you know, data culture to me can't exist without the other pieces, right? Like you can't, you, you could ostensibly have a successful data culture in, in a toxic environment. We see great, ex well, not great, I wouldn't say great example. We see examples <laughs> of companies using loads of information, you know, to micromanage employees and right. And so, so you might on surface say, oh, that's a, that's a great data culture. Um, you know, but there's, um, as you and I have talked, there's a responsibility piece to information like the, um, and yes, it's up to everybody to determine their own responsibility, but the, um, I think, you know, cultures and cultures in the, the geopolitical sense help set the framing for what is responsible. But I think there's also a degree um, there of, you know, in a good data culture, you're empowering everybody. And a lot of those cultures that might have a lot of the top-down surveillance or top-down management, you might have mm -hmm. a few silos using data well. So in that case, top-tier management. But I imagine if the employees that being yep. can manage, they're probably not being encouraged to ask questions, to be curious, to wonder what else they could do because they're too busy trying to meet their their track metrics. Yeah, I, and I think that's an important way that that you know you and I and others have talked in the past about how to define these. Like it, the you know so so from the way that we've looked at it, a cult you know a company like that um, would score lower in their data culture because it's it's not about empowering the many to innovate and to ask questions and to to experiment it's about empowering the few right and and running a more factory like process or um uh holding holding the holding the doors closed um to to many others and so i mean what we what we're espousing here is is a bigger and different future but um you know one where uh, we do see many examples in the marketplace of, of companies doing just this, of, of, of giving information to everyone up and down the chain that is and probably information they have, should have access to. Not every, you know, simple example, not everybody uh, um, you want having access to the company financials of your publicly traded company, but should they have access to, you know, information that helps them be better at their job, think about their job, how they're being measured, what they're doing. Um, absolutely. And should, you know, should they be free to, um, you know, use that to derive new insights and to propose things? Absolutely. Um, I think we, we all benefit from, you know, a variety of ideas and analyses shared because uh, it's, it's going to be, you know, the biggest innovations 
you know, come from, not, don't always come from like the data you have and the information you have, but they do come, you know, from people grounded in experience and, and being able to ask questions, be encouraged to ask questions and experiment with those questions. And then identify where, you know, because they have this wealth of information available to them, also see the gaps, right? You know, sometimes it can be as insightful as like, hey, the old days of having encyclopedias on the shelf, like, hey, the, the letter D is missing, right? <laughs> like there's something big here. If I want to be able to, to understand, um, you know, the dogs, I want to look up dogs. Well, the letters D is missing. But, you know, sometimes it's not always as easy to identify like that. But if you have... If you have a routine and a culture that encourages input and encourages experimentation, um, you want that, that, you know, my, my personal feeling, but, but also again, backed up by many others doing this is you have, um, cultures with experimentation and questions, and it's not done out of fear, you know, like because of many, many people will experiment, but out of fear, right? Because they, they don't have information, but they know they need to do something because what they're doing isn't working. They don't, may not even fully know why it's not working, but it's, it's more as like, how do we boldly go and experiment? And you can do that better when information is available, when people are merging their, merging data and, and analytics and insight you know, with what they are seeing and experiencing in the world and be able to ask and seek, I you know, the the flip side of that as well is knowing when you have enough data. Because another thing that I've seen, I think you've seen as well is people get back to misconceptions. I've got to have all my data in place before I can start doing this. Well, that's also like from a paralysis as well. Absolutely. Right. Like it's, you know, we, we've seen this in, in everything from public health to manufacturing, um, well, just financial services, right? Like why, um, why wait to have my entire data warehouse built, you know, on the next epidemic, you know, before I let the epidemiologist start doing the next sets of insights and machine learning models, right? Like we, th certain things in life can't wait. And so sometimes it can be, unfortunately, like life and death scenarios like that. And other times it can just be, um, you know, simple, simple things, more simple things where it's, money, um, but in, and not people's lives or well-being, right? But the, you know, we, we've certainly talked to manufacturing customers in the past, like, oh, well, I need to make sure I get all this machine telemetry data in before I start doing it. Well, but are your machines breaking now? <laughs> are you having like adverse effects from not knowing the best maintenance cycles? Well, could we could just, even if it's imperfect, we can take that information in now um, and, and then work on a separate thread where we're going to make that robust, right? And so I think that's, that's where the cultural aspect comes in. It's like knowing the outcome is the most important, you know, the outcomes that you're striving for are very important. And all of this stuff is in service of the outcome, right? I mean, and it could be that like, you know, I could spend all this time and we've certainly seen customers like do this, where you spend all this time, like presuming the data that you have is going to be the right data. Like go back to the manufacturing example, if I take all this in, it's going to tell me which machines on the line are going to fail and when. What if you do all that work and you find out it actually doesn't, or the lift on doing all that work isn't enough to actually justify all, all the analytics set and and the, the model or you building do all that the you work just and, did? We I mean, do all the work and realize that half the data is manually inputted and full of you know typos. Yeah, full of typos, or it just it doesn't give you the the return that you expect because the the. It's, it can end up being optimization to the wrong end, right? Um, 
in a bit of a hyperbolic scenario, that 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 machine doesn't cost that much to maintain. If it's you know a two hundred thousand dollar machine with you know twenty thousand year or twenty thousand um, dollar you know per three year maintenance, but you spend a hundred grand to put together all the analytics, well, it was half of another machine or you know five cycles of maintenance, right? So the um, uh, and then and then you don't get the lift you want. So maybe it increases your your mean time between failures to four years versus three. But I didn't get I didn't get that return. But I could have known that sooner had I just experimented with the data first, you know, versus build. Figure everything. out if the problem is worth solving or not. Yes, yes, our our favorite tagline: Absolutely. problems worth solving. All right. Well, from here. What can you look at the rest of the podcast that they're going to be putting out on this channel? So one of the keepers we're going to be doing is interviewing three different personas about their culture, their experiences, and their journeys. And those three personas are the leaders, the people who themselves been chief data officers, chief data scientists, have actually been in dumbness in the past, builds data cultures, be that a companies, a public service, state government, federal government, around the world, and learn from their experiences. Secondly, the visionaries, people who may have been advanced in the past, but have a a line of sight, interesting ideas, opinions, and views on how companies, or indeed the whole field, could do things differently and better um, to really empower use of data through strong data cultures. And finally, Excellent practitioners, people who've been uh, been in the weeds, people who've built machine learning models, who've built data warehouses, who've actually you know, been the person in the middle of the culture. Now, how could they influence the culture from their perspective? How did the culture affect them and their work? You know, did it help or hinder them? Questions like that. And I think the fun thing, Lee, with with each of these personas that we're going to be interviewing on this series, you know, and some of them who we've already talked to. One of the key things we want folks to take away is like they can be anywhere in the org. You know, you can be a leader anywhere in the org. You can be a visionary anywhere in the org. You can be an expert practitioner anywhere in the org. And that's the that's the what we see is the beautiful thing about you know interviewing them and and hearing their stories is that their stories can inform, guide, and ideally inspire you on what you know you can do different today, tomorrow, and the next day on helping your company build you know, a better culture around using information to guide and inform action. Because that that's the key thing is like, we, we love to see people, you know, have information, but I think it's more important to see people then therefore use that information towards, you know, the purposes that, that, that drive their organization to exist. And then I think from here, well, so look forward to the next couple of episodes. Thank you again for listening and being an advocate of the data culture community. Curiosity to intersect with data can inform and inspire change for the betterment of all. Let's build cultures to make this happen. If you have a topic, idea, want to be a guest or chat, reach out to me, Sid Atkinson. Me, or Lee Harper. Lee Harper. Lee Harper. We are both on LinkedIn, so you can hit us up on DM or via the Data Culture Podcast LinkedIn group. Join, join the group and follow along. If you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, please do so anywhere you get podcasts. And as I mentioned before, be sure to join our LinkedIn group to engage with your fellow data culture changemakers and visionaries. Thanks again for listening.